Father, thank you that um, we are together again. Thank you that um, uh, we can meet in this place. Thank you that you are preparing the way ahead for us, that you are going before us and leading us and directing us by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that though we don't always know what's happening and, and understand how you're leading us, nonetheless you are. And we can look back and see, wow, wow, look at where you've brought us. And that's just, uh, that's a miracle, Lord, and such confirmation of the fact that you are real and that our salvation is real. And I thank you for it, Lord, because the whole of our world and our culture and our own flesh, really, is pulling us the other way and to tell us that you're not real, that salvation is a dream, that, that, uh, that there is no Christ who's coming back for us. And, and I thank you, Lord, that you constantly reinforce the truth in our minds and in our hearts and that that helps us to go on and to live the way you want us to live. So I, I praise you, Lord, that... You, the mighty, sovereign, beautiful, majestic God, would make yourself known to people like us, people who fail and people who fall and people who mess up. Lord, that you would say, arise, my child, and walk with me. It's just such a wonderful blessing, Lord, and I praise you for it and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I don't know if you're doing the homework online. I hope that you're glancing at it occasionally. And this will be the telltale evening, but to see if you are. Because I asked some questions, and the first question I asked was, do you have a clear understanding of Paul's message to Timothy in this letter? Do you have a clear understanding of his message? And how would you describe that message? So we've only got to the end of chapter 2. So how would you describe the message that Paul wants to give to Timothy? If you didn't do the homework, that's okay. I've just asked the question again. So how would you describe his message? As an encouragement to persevere in being a son of Paul in the gospel. Yes, yes, good. Yeah, it's an encouragement and a call to persevere. That's definitely a major, major theme in this letter. It's saying the whole letter is encouraging. Um, all of Paul's letters are encouraging, actually, even if they're quite critical of churches. Um, but also, this is a call to perseverance and a call to something else, which we ha haven't actually really touched on yet, but we will do in chapter 3 and chapter 4. But I think right at the beginning, um, when we read through the whole letter, um, I think I said that I think that the theme of this letter is separation and endurance that we must separate from that which is false and endure what that separation will bring because the separation will certainly bring persecution of some form or another. Um, so, okay, and so how did Paul start with his encouragement? Because he usually starts by encouraging people in his letters. How did he start? In what way did he encourage Timothy? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he reminded Timothy of all the things that had already happened in his life 
to prepare him for the moment now that he was going to step out. Um, he had already stepped out with Paul. He'd already done a lot of mission work and min uh, he'd been on Paul's missionary journeys with him. So it wasn't that he was starting, but it was really, this letter is really the handing on of the baton to Timothy. And so he's encouraging him by the fact that he knows the scriptures. He kn knew them. He was brought up in them by his mother and his grandmother and that he had been with Paul and had hands laid on him. So he was gifted and called by God gifted by the Holy Spirit, called by God the Father for the work that he was now going to go on and do. And, um, and Paul makes a specific statement in, cha in chapter 1, verse 7, which is true for Timothy and also true for every one of us. Um, he says, um, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. So his, his kind of culmination of that, that first few verses to encourage Timothy is, you have been given a spirit of power, love, and discipline. There's nothing that God calls you to that you are unable to do in him. Mm. That's a verse we know very well. Mm. I thought it was fascinating because it was so connected with the verse in front of you. Yes, yes. So in other words, stir up the gift. Stir up the gift, exactly. So as we stir up the gift, we need fearless. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. No. No. Looked at that one because we memorise that, don't we? It's one of the ones you remember. But yes, definitely stir up the gift that's within you, um, and and that's the fire that's within you. Because in order to live the Christian life that Paul is calling Timothy to do, and God is calling through Paul, you have to have passion for God. If you don't have passion, you can't live this life. You have to have a zeal for God and for the things of God because otherwise it's just too difficult. And that's really another thing, you know, that um, our next, the next conference is called Receiving Blessing. There is so much blessing from God upon us and to us. But at the same time, that blessing in and of itself draws persecution. <laughs> towards us. Paul will say in this letter, everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not necessarily from uh, typically how we think of persecution, but actually even spiritually. We, we will have Satan constantly attacking us. That's persecution. We'll have our own flesh rising up against what we want to do if we want to live godly. So there will be persecution and tribulation. And so if you're not passionate for God, you can't live this life. You can't. You can pretend to live it, but you can't really live it. Because... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. 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 I think I once, quite a, a couple of years ago, I think it was, I, I was writing something and realising that actually we think of the front line as maybe in you know, North Korea, for Christians, I mean, the front line, North Korea, China now, India coming up in the top ten now of countries that persecute Christians. 
in some ways, in a different way, if you look at it from a different perspective, this is the front line. Because we're coming up against a culture that is calling us to apathy or to self-indulgence. And everything in our flesh is responding to that. So we are constantly battling our own flesh because we, it, available to us is everything we want. And Satan is taking all of that and, and magnifying uh, you know, those things in us and saying, call yourself a Christian? Is that what Christians do? Is that how Christians live? Is that what they say? And that's constantly going on. And that is a type of persecution because what it does is it belittles you in your own eyes and therefore you extend that to think that you are doing nothing for the kingdom of God, that you're not living for God. That, um, and, and so I know it's not clear-cut persecution as, and we're not losing our lives, we're not being imprisoned, we're not being enchained, but there are many Christians in our Western culture who live life in chains, but you just can't see them. They, they are chained up and they are caught in this cycle of despair and despondency because they can't live the way they want to live and they believe the lies of the enemy who says, well, then there's something wrong with you. Your faith isn't good enough or your God is not strong enough. You know, and that is a type of persecution. And um, so I think that's partly what Paul's saying, that... Um, Anyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, he's, he's obviously talking about being imprisoned and beaten and put on a ship and shipwrecked and all of that, um, which, we, which we haven't had. But nonetheless, that, that is a type of persecution. So he's telling Timothy, he's encouraging him in the beginning that you've been given everything you need. Stir that up so that you can remember those things and go out in ministry um, for the Lord. And... In the second chapter, how does he move off of that? Because he says at the end of chapter one, God, what's been entrusted to you? I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. This is Paul talking. And so guard what's entrusted to you, he tells Timothy. And then in chapter two, he goes into an, a kind of, uh, not exactly an encouragement, but a, yeah, what does he go into in chapter two? What does he describe in chapter 2, at the beginning particularly? Yes, yes, yes. And, and how does he describe that? Yes, yeah, soldier, farmer, athlete. He picks everyday professions and pulls something out of that everyday profession to show Timothy how this ministry, how this life as a Christian looks in everyday life. No, they're not. They're all hardworking. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking a lot about it. You know, you think about the athlete. My husband used to run and his brother ran. They were both runners. His brother ran for England. Um, but, but he ran uh, for, for county, he, he, you know, cross country and uh, other distances. So, um, and he ran with um, a guy and I I, for some reason I can't think of his name. His name is David something and he it was sort of in the 60s. No, no, David Bedford, yes. Thank you, Simon. I couldn't think of his name this morning, and it was just about to go. So he ran. They, he used to run for Eton Manor uh, Club, which is in Leighton in East London, and they ran together. So he trained with David Bedford, who was his brother's age, but they all trained together. David Bedford was the record holder at certain distances in that time, but he trained 
At that time, it was 100 miles a week he ran with weights in his shoes so that he could run long distance with heavy weights so that he would train. Now, the thing was, David Bedford won a few races and he took a few medals, but he trained every single day except Christmas Day. And so did my husband and so did his brother. They ran every day except Christmas Day. Exactly, because they knew that the training is what would bring, win them the prize. And I was thinking about that when, I was, when Paul was saying, you know, as he talks about an athlete um, running according to the rules, but I was thinking about more about the training, how much training. And I think that's, so, that's such a picture for Christians. You know, we have to, we have to do the training every day in order to simply be ready to, to run the race when we need to. And exactly, it's all this passion. How much do you love what you're doing? And will you discipline yourself to put into what you're doing? And that comes only from your passion for God and your zeal for him. Um, uh, so yeah, so this the athlete, the soldier, do not entangle yourself in everyday affairs, Paul says. Don't get entangled in everyday affairs. And I mean, how difficult is that? Because we all have families, we all have jobs, we all have things to do. How do you not get entangled? What does he mean by that? Yes, they don't take over. Yes, yes. Yes, fruitless discussions, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think, in fact, we talked this morning and someone reminded me, it's Brother Andrew who wrote that book. Um, I can't remember the title of his book, but he washed hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dishes for the Lord. Everything he did, he did for the Lord. Brother Lawrence, not Brother Andrew. Yes, thank you. Yes, Brother Lawrence. And it's this idea that whatever you do and wherever you do it, do it as to the Lord. And then, even though you have to do the everyday things, you are not entangled in them. They're not taking your focus or your mind or your thinking. They're, your thinking and, and your whole reasoning and emotions are still intent on the Lord. Now, again, you can't get that without passion for God. It just doesn't happen. It's not natural. So you have to stir up the flame, stir up the gift that's in, in you. And that's what he's telling Timothy. You know, there's the encouragement in the beginning. You've been given a spirit of power, love, and discipline. Stir up this passion in yourself. And you owe, the only way to do that is by thinking of your thinking of a soldier and an athlete and a farmer, thinking of all the ways that they have to be and do in order to gain the crop, to win the prize, to fight the enemy. Yes, 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 fallow ground, definitely, definitely. So I said, um, he starts in chapter 2, and, and then at the end of that little section about athletes and soldiers and farmers, he says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Christ. It's like a sort of clarion call. Remember Christ. Remember Christ. And I have been thinking, what does he mean by remember Christ? I mean, is he telling t Timothy to remember the crucifixion and the resurrection? Is that what he means? Yes, I think so. I think that's involved in it. Remember the commitment and the passion of Christ to do the will of his Father. It took him to the garden in Gethsemane where Luke said his sweat was like drops of blood. 
you have to have an absolute confidence and assurance that this is the will of God and this is what you want for your life. There has to be that desire in you. Otherwise, you're never going to live this life. Now, I'm really challenged by this because we do live in a culture where we can easily slide through life. You know, we can have a few hiccups along the way, our children get sick or something happens or, you know, you can have all those little things. But basically, you can self-indulge your whole life. We can. We, I was born, you know, in the era that was said, I, I, you know, it's all about me. It's just all about me. It's what I want, when I want it, how I want it. That's how I grew up. That's what I thought was my life. Nothing I, if I wanted it, I could get it. If I worked hard enough or whatever, I could get whatever I wanted. I could be whatever I wanted. I could do whatever I wanted. That was the, the 60s. That was the life. And, and that's the culture. And, and amazingly, that was Paul's culture. <laughs> it's so incredible to me. We thought it was all new in the 60s, but actually it had been around for 2,000 years. But I think it emerged in our culture at that time, 50s, 60s. Out it came, this blatant self-absorption and this, this hunger for feeding our own egos and our own self. When you speak, the opposite was during the war. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yes. 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 Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. No. I think he's talking about the discipline. Not what you're actually doing. No, but you mean you might be having to kill or yeah. to, yeah. yeah. No, I don't think he means that. But actually, even in that, even in that, Simon, I think that if we think about this spiritually, we do have to destroy strongholds and bring down idle speculations. We do have to fight with the sword of the spirit. And that's close-up, hand-to-hand fighting. And people get hurt with that fighting uh, because we're fighting the enemy who's using others to work out his plan. So in a way, spiritually, yeah, the soldier image is harder than the farmer and the athlete. Um, but so he, he's, he's, he's talked about that. Re- then remember Jesus Christ and, and the idea that, that Jesus lived and died for the will of his father. And he lived and died because he wanted to do the will of his father, because he loved his father, and because he knew that that's what he came for. So that's another thing. You can only be passionate about something you know belongs to you. <laughs> you know, like you've been here called for a purpose. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know that we can feel like that all the time. I don't feel like that every moment of every day. But I want to feel like that every moment of every day. And I want God to fill me with that passion so that I do recognize I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for such a time as this. I'm here for this place in this time. And I'm going to do everything that God calls me to do. And I'm going to do it with joy and with passion and with zeal. That's, that's, that's the only way, really, to live a fruitful Christian life. And, and that's what Paul's telling Timothy and through him telling us.
And it's a challenge. Um, so remember Jesus Christ, and then he's going to finish that chapter with um, reminding him of uh, faithfulness. Of He says, basically, be faithful in your ministry. Be faithful in your conduct and be a clean instrument. He differentiates between the vessels in the household. Some are ignoble, some are noble. So be, purify yourself, he says. Walk in righteousness. Whole long list of instructions. Be this kind of Christian. Be this kind of person. Um, and finishes up that chapter with... Um, the Lord's bondservant is not to be quarrelsome. He's to be able to teach, patient when wrong, gentleness with those who are in opposition, correcting them. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So it is, it is. The whole purpose of Timothy's ministry was to bring people to the repentance that would uh, take them out of the snare of Satan. And again, that's, you know, passion for God is loving passion. It's, it's the sort of passion that causes us to really want the repentance of even our enemies. Now, that's hard. That's really hard. Gently correcting those in opposition, he says. Now, Timothy would have faced a lot of real, proper opposition and was already in Ephesus facing that opposition. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Timothy, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Definitely, yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, to be honest, Mike, I suspect he disobeyed a lot of them from time to time because he was a human. So what gives us the power to carry on? It's only God who can stoke us up or fill us with that passion and that desire. And ultimately, it's only God who can be the power in us. Well, by his spirit. What do you mean? Okay, um, so you read this. Let's say you read this. One day you wake up. I'm going to read Second Timothy, and you read it, and you get to this verse: "The Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome." And you think to yourself, "But actually, I'm I quarrel a lot. So, and I want to be the Lord's bond servant. I am. I've pledged my life to you, Lord. I want to be this bond servant." Well, you can because. When he says to me, I'm quarrelsome, I say back to the Lord, okay, Lord, whatever I must do to align myself with your truth, help me to do that. Show me where I can do that. What that is, what that will, what will that involve? Um, of course that's true. The whole of salvation is a gift from God. But God won't make you do anything. No, I'm not suggesting you would. I'm suggesting that by, you know, uh, with joy you'll draw um, out of the wells of salvation. So 
in reading the scriptures, then uh, he is able to share with you uh, concerning your lifestyle and conduct and things, and therefore um, he um, he will he's given you his spirit, which enables you to conduct yourself in an appropriate way. Absolutely, but you have choice every moment of every day. Yeah, so we have choice every moment. Every moment we're faced with opposition of any description, every moment we're faced with our own self rising up or other people, we have choice. Okay, am I going to, let's just say quarrel. Am I going to quarrel or am I going to be gentle with those in opposition? Um, yeah, but you see, what you're saying, actually, if I'm hearing you correctly, Mike, is what you're saying is that we don't do anything, but God does it all. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, I must renew my mind before I am transformed. Be renewed. That's an instruction to me. You be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So I have to do something. No, that's what I mean. So that's how it, it's. I'm hearing it. If I don't, you know, if that's not right. Yeah. Mm. The word sound mind there means self-control, actually. A spirit of discipline and, and sound mind. So, Yes, and the thing is, we're probably agreeing with each other, Mike, because I, I agree that without God we can't do any of it. But God is writing to people who's, who, whom he is indwelling. So through Paul, he's writing to Timothy, in whom that is the Holy Spirit. So there is a certain understanding. I have the Holy Spirit. So now I can choose to go the way of God or to go my own way. I don't know if you, I mean, you know, I struggled with certain sins after I was a Christian. For a long time. And I knew I had the power within me, the Holy Spirit within me. I knew I was able not to do what I was doing. But the self in me was pulling me to that all the time. And no amount of you telling me you have that gift of God or someone telling me, you know, and it's, it, it will all happen. It didn't happen in me. It did not happen. So I could read, don't have a spirit of fear, you have the power, the spirit of power, love and discipline. I could read that. I could know that I had that power. But nonetheless, too often, I made the choice to ignore the truth and go my own way. And what I would say is that is the normal Christian life. And that as you go on in your life and as you drench yourself in the truth of God and ask him to make you into the person you want to be and to get rid of the person you are, this laying aside the old man and putting on the new, as Paul will say, that is how that process works. So as you go along, 20 years in, 25 years in, or whenever it happens, you start to realize, wow, this was a gift. It was a gift. It's all of God. So there isn't a contest in it, but I had to partake of it. I had to lay hold of it. That's what I mean.
Sorry, hold on. Yes. If we did quench the spirit, then he will give us Always a choice. Always. Yeah. Yeah. He won't ever take that choice away. If if he if he suddenly starts to take choice out of our life, then what was it all about? He should have just made robots in the Garden of Eden. He would never have allowed that to happen there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, it, you know, w- as I say, we're probably saying much the same thing, but my experience of the gift of God in my life has been one of me having to lay hold of that gift and do my part to align myself with him. And that has not always been easy. And Yeah, it is. But, you, but even that, you see, faith is a gift, but you choose whether you believe or not. And God gave you that choice and will hold you responsible for that choice. So it's a gift, but you have to receive it. We have choice. Um, He has. Yes, he has. And Timothy knows it. Timothy's been brought up with Paul. He's been trained under him. But the thing is, Mike, he's still being instructed. Live righteously. Purify yourself. Lay aside these things. Why is there need for instruction if it's all automatically happening? Yes. And he's and it's being tried and tested and proved. So, yeah, we'll have to talk about it later, Michael. We won't. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's difficult because we could go backwards and forwards, and maybe it's something we should talk about later. Yeah. Um, so. I asked them some questions. Uh, Do you have a clear understanding of the Lord's message to you through this letter? Do you know what God is saying to you? Do you know the gifts he brought to you by his spirit? And do you know the ministry that he's put you into? Uh, Ministry means area of service. It's not a big deal. It doesn't mean a titled ministry. It just means what is the area of service that God has equipped you for by the Holy Spirit bringing particular gifts to you? And if you don't know the gifts you have or the area of service, you just need to pray because the Lord uses everybody. 
and wants everybody. There is no one of us who, as a believer, is not going to be used by the Lord. That's just impossible. The Holy Spirit has come in. He wants us to be used in ministry. So um, I then asked us, uh, asked in the homework to read through uh, chapter 3. So we're going to do that, but we're actually only going to read the first um, nine verses tonight. And um, because Paul is going to go from immediately talking to Timothy about being gentle in opposition, correcting people gently, uh, hoping to bring them to repentance. And then he's going to start the next sentence in his letter with, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. So let's read that um, down to verse 9, please. One or two people read that. Thank you. If we went on, which we're not going to do just for the sake of time tonight, but if we read to the end of the chapter, Paul would then say, now, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my, and that was a, a continuous, continue to do those things. So in a way, in this chapter, Paul moves from, this is how you, your character is, this is how you should think about your life, this is how you should deal with the opposition, but realize that you're going to be doing all of that inside a culture, inside a time that is going to be violently opposed to that type of life. And that's what he's, he's, he's trying to tell Timothy and I think what God's telling us. We are called to live the life of a Christian, of a minister, of a servant of the Lord in a time that is cataclysmically opposed to what we want to do. And if we don't understand that, we will constantly be astonished at the opposition and the difficulty we're finding. Paul says difficult times will come. So he started by telling him about these times before he told him at the end how to respond. You follow my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, etc. Why does he tell him what the times are like? Why does he tell him difficult, you know, these days will come and men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, this. Why does he do that first? Yeah, forewarned is forearmed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, count the cost. And also, any action we take in the culture we live has to be based on knowledge. We have to understand that the world is not what it might appear to be to an unbeliever. 
The world to an unbeliever is something that they can fix. We can get climate under control. We can get education under control. We can, we can change the world. We can feed the, the poor. We can house the homeless. We have the power to do that. It's the lie direct from the Garden of Eden that we can be like God and we can do it. And, and that's what Paul's saying is if you don't recognize the times that you're living in, you are going to be fighting battles all over the place, not understanding that there is only one battle to fight. And, and you'll get caught up in all these other issues that will sap your energy and sap your time and sap your passion so that you are not doing the things that God has called you to do. And I think it's so important. You know, there's a reference in Hosea, my people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. My people perish for lack of knowledge. And the thing is, if we, we live in a church, in an organization that lacks knowledge of the days in which we live, that is being lulled into this kind of false sense of security. It's like Jeremiah. They'll be preaching peace, peace when there is no peace. And it's this that Paul wants Timothy to understand. Difficult days are coming. Difficult times are coming. And he uses a word that's used in Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, 28, when uh, there's the, um, Jesus faces these demoniacs, you know, and, um, it's, and that word that's used, difficult times of stress will come, is the same as the word in Matthew 8. And it means that they're, they're demonic times. They are times when Satan's activity will be at its height. And the outcome of Satan's activity within the realms of humankind is what he reads, what he writes in those first five verses. Men will be like people. It's always people throughout these two letters. It doesn't, it's been tra translated as men, but he means people. It's mankind. Mankind will be like this. They'll be lovers of self. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be boastful, arrogant, revilers. All of that long list of, um, of things, that's how people will be. And he wants us to understand, wants Timothy to understand, it's demonic. It has demonic origin. You know, we... It, it sometimes sounds a bit like hocus pocus, you know, because Satan's been made out to be this this cartoon character. You know, he's been made out to be a, 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 a yeah a cartoon. And so there are a lot of Christians who won't even talk about Satan. Oh, I'm not going to talk about Satan. You know, I don't like to give him too much credence. And consequently, they are at the mercy of Satan, who prowls around, Peter says, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he will devour the ones who do not know the times that they live in. And, and I wanted to read this, um, those first five verses from the, New Living, from the Living Bible, not the New Living Bible, the, the Living Bible, because it's really, you know, I, I study from the NASB, but I, I want to read this. And this is from verse 1 of chapter 3. You may as well know this too, Timothy, that in the last days it's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be proud and boastful, sneering at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful to them, and thoroughly bad. 
They will be hard-headed and never give in to others. They will be constant liars and troublemakers and will think, of nothing, will think nothing of immorality. They will be rough and cruel and sneer at those who try to be good. They will betray their friends. They will be hot-headed, puffed up with pride and prefer good times to worshipping God. They will go to church, yes, but they won't really believe anything they hear. Don't be taken in by people like that. I mean, it's a really good colloquial translation. Um, and these are the times that we live in. You just read that in that translation. You know that's where we live. And, and Paul's saying, understand that this doesn't just come out of people's fleshly desires. This comes out of demonic activity, that Satan is at work and he is... He is speeding up his work and intensifying his work because Satan knows if he can destroy the people of God, he will destroy Christ. He will destroy this, you know, stop the second coming of Jesus. And he is at work to do that. And so we have to understand um, not only uh, what we're to, how we're to be, but that we're to be that in this culture. I mean, that's a tremendous challenge. Because we still have our old nature roaming around somewhere in there. And that old nature is going to be affected by the things that we see around us. And although we're protected through faith by the power of God for the salvation that will be revealed in the last time, although that is going on, we have a part to play in this. And, and I, I, I think it's imperative that we understand what we're up against. What are we up against and the fact that this activity that Paul describes as times of difficulty, times of stress, is demonic in origin. And that the people who are doing these things are either in the pay of Satan, as, as it were, or they are in captivity by him. And so our understanding of that changes the way we respond to what they're doing. And what, how we fight. I was thinking, you know, we live in really terrible times. Really, really terrible times. And it's easy not to see it. It's so easy to live your life on a level where you don't see the terror and the horror of the times that we live in. I was thinking, you know, um, we live in times where it's the whole thing has become about this love, this kind of mushy thing called love, where we let everybody do what they want to do, even if it means them falling off the edge of a cliff. We, we're supposed to tolerate all this stuff and, and go along with it because, you know, it's like live and let live. You know, you go your way, I'll go mine. We, we'll meet up, you know, it doesn't matter. As long as you don't offend me and I don't offend you, everything's okay. That's where we are. And the problem is, that's where we are in the church. Because Paul says, holding to a form of godliness, do not but denying its power. That word for godliness means religion. Holding to a form of religion, but denying its power. And when you think about it, what is Satan's most successful thing is to cover the search for God that everyone has, this hole in us where only God fits, to fill that with religion that has no power. 
to fill that with something that eventually will lead to total destruction and ruin. And that's what he's doing. You see, he doesn't care if you have any sort of religion. You can go to any sort of temple. You can worship any sort of God. Satan will be really happy because that will keep you from the one true living God who, who will save your soul. And that's what he's doing. And that's what's happening inside what we call the church. And it's desperate. It's desperate. And go ahead. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that's it. Definitely. Definitely. And and in a way, that's what we're doing inside the church. And that's what Paul's fighting. He's writing about false teachers who are giving just, you know, what did you call it, Anya? He, he gave people the hard truth. He just used a phrase. Um, told it, yeah, that it's blood, sweat and tears. but Covering it all, yeah. It, 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 all possible, all palatable, everything's okay, yeah. And that's what Satan does, he covers it as palatable, everything's okay, and it's not. And, and, and the thing is, if that's happening inside the professing church, then people have nowhere to go. They have nowhere to go. Where will they go for truth? If they walk into the church and find that work of Satan going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yes, definitely. Mm. 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 Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think uh, what really struck me this week, uh, perhaps more forcibly than ever before, was that Paul said he didn't say, um, you know, just keep going with them in the hope they'll, they'll come round. He didn't say that. He said, avoid people like this. Now, that's a pretty harsh statement. Avoid people like this. So, gently... I know. So how can you put that together? You know, how do we put that together? We need great wisdom to understand how to do that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, definitely. I, I was thinking, you know, what does that mean then? Gently correct those in opposition and avoid such these. I mean, what does that mean? How do we do both things? And I think it must be that what Paul's saying is you cannot have fellowship, real fellowship with people like that. You cannot allow them into your inner fellowship. You can't because they will disrupt and destroy and they are... If, and, and he's talking particularly about the teachers, so the ones who are deliberately teaching lies. 
the ones who know the truth but have exchanged it for the lie, as Paul said in Romans. So it's, it's that it, it's, you cannot have fellowship with them, but you are to gently correct them, hoping they'll come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. So it is a, it's, a, it's a rope, there, a tightrope of how to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then, you know, it's more difficult. They love you, Yeah. They love the Lord. Yeah. Sorry, Mike, hold on. Mm, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. 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 Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, definitely. The majority of the church thinks. Yes, no. A millennialist. And that the millennial reign of Christ is not a thousand years, it's just an extended time. Yes, all the time. It's a form of religion but there's no power. And it's from Satan. You know, and this is the thing that we don't seem to understand, that, that, that the Bible is clear. These things are not Christian. They're just not Christian. You cannot hold to the, this idea that this is the, I think, the millennial reign of Christ and still conceive of the difficult times that are, fo- that are demonic. How can you hold those two things together? You can't hold them together. This is a lie. And Satan exactly. Exactly. He's prowling around like a roaring lion. He's, he's, he's um, slandering us at the throne of God. So the thing is, but you see, no one will say, because I know the leadership conference, I think, that you went to, no one's going to go up to that church and say, do you know, you're not really Christian, actually. You're not really teaching Christ here. Because you would just be laughed out of the building. And also, in us, we think, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe, you know, have I really got that quite right? Or do I really know that? But you see, for Paul, there's just no question. You avoid people like that. Do you know why? Because they will destroy you. They will destroy you. And they will eventually destroy what we call the church, the professing church. They will destroy that and lead people into complete destruction. You know... I want to say, I know some Catholics who are Christians. I believe they're Christians. But the Catholic Church is not the church. It is not the church. Um, it's just not. The teaching from the top is anti-Christ. Anti-Christ. The Pope, the leader of that religion, is saying that we can have fellowship with Muslims is promoting this union of faith. Now, that may be good on a moral, human level. It might be coming from a motive that is, okay, we want to you know, bring world peace. I'm not trying to say his motives are immoral, but they are not Christian. That is not Christian. Yes. 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 Exactly, yes. 
We have uh, churches of England, you know, they're, they're inviting to share services with Muslims. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. And then you have Paul's letter to Timothy. You know, there's going to be days when it's demonic activity and it's going to be very stressful. And people are going to be like this. They're going to be haters of good. They're going to be lovers of self, lovers of money. And we think, well, we really don't know these people. can't be talking about people in the church because they're not like that. And then he says, holding to a form of religion but denying its power. And then you know, he's, he knows God is speaking about a time that we live in. And we cannot have fellowship with those people. We just cannot have fellowship. No, 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 no. Yeah. 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 So the thing is, we are called to know the truth and to live the truth. That's what he's saying to Timothy. Live like a Christian. Be faithful in your conduct, in your ministry, in every area. Be full of faith, the faith that was passed down. You know, we have to be like that. And so I can love these people. I can love people who think they're believers and I know they're not. And I'm to gently correct them. But I cannot have fellowship with them. It's impossible. I have to avoid those people. And definitely I must avoid the teacher who knows they're teaching lies and they're doing it deliberately for money or for reputation or for whatever. I mean, there's a lot of people, myself included, we don't have everything right. We don't know everything. And there's, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, I hope gently God will correct me and and I will find out there's some things, you know, that I talk wrongly, but nothing deliberate, nothing. I want the truth and only the truth and I don't want anything to come out of my mouth that isn't true. You know, you're starting a group, aren't you, um, Christine and Keith, thinking they're quietly at the back and no one can see them. They're starting a little group and they're going to do a Bible study out of their church. Well, you now are responsible to know that Bible study. I don't know what you're doing, so I can freely say this. You have to read that book that you're doing from cover to cover, and you have to know, okay, that doesn't sound quite right to me. So, you know, what am I going to do about that? Because the people you bring into your group, you are going to be the witness for Christ to them. And what you teach them, even though you're saying you're not teaching, but what you speak to them is what they'll take about Christianity and about Christ. That's an awesome privilege and a terrible responsibility. And, you know, sorry, have a good time while you're doing <laughs> You know, but this is the reality of Christian life. This is what it is. You know, we've got Christians, you know, it's right to fight abortion. It's right to fight modern-day slavery. It's right to do all of these things. But we have to know why we're doing it. Why are you fighting against abortion? Because on a moral human level, there's arguments on both sides. 
You cannot come to that with your human argument and your morality. The only reason you are to fight abortion is it because it is not of God. It is against the law of God. It is the sacrifice of children on the altar of self. And, and so when you hear the argument that is all about the extreme end, the woman who was raped by 10 people, and, you know, don't get into that argument. Love that people that you're talking to. Going and throwing mud and all sorts of things at the doctor's door or in the surgery, that's not what Christians do. We don't join picket lines. We gently correct those in opposition. We speak the truth at all times. We speak that truth in love. We long for people to know the truth and to come out of the clutches of Satan. If we behave like they behave, you just get this slinging, this match that's going on. We have to know, why do you oppose modern-day slavery? Why do you oppose slavery? What's the reason for that? Because all men are created equal. How do you know that? Because you know God. That's what he says. And because Christ came to set us free. Free. That's the, that's the life, the abundant life that he came to give us. A free life. A totally free life. Exactly. Each person has intrinsic value and is not to be sold to another. That's why Wilberforce fought slavery in his day. Not because of the slave trade itself, although, of course, he was affected by it, but because he knew it dishonored God and it defamed Christ. And he knew that everything about it was wrong because it was an insult to God. That's where our passion is, isn't it? That's why you do what you do and say what you say. It's because you, you want to lift up the name of Christ. So... Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. I believe that. That's it. So Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. No. 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 Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hate what's evil, and that's what, yeah, exactly. 
But the thing is, the thing is, Anne, if we don't speak that truth into those situations, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're going to have to pray, Simon, about how to speak that truth. Um, but I know God wants it spoken. I know that God wants it spoken, that this interfaith worship, this doesn't cut it. Multi-faith worship, it doesn't cut it. This is not right. So I don't know how you're going to do that, and I, I, we'll all pray that God will give you the right words, but definitely the words have to be spoken because what's happened is, you see, we've, in the church, we've gone along with things because we've wanted to love people, and what's happened with that is that we've put people above God. Exactly, exactly. So they've taken God's place. And again, go back to the Garden of Eden. That's exactly what Satan wanted. That man would take the place of God. And he could manipulate man. So, you know what I mean, male, female, both. That, 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 that we would think we could be God and that it was more important to please man, as who just, yeah, and you said that, to please man than it is to please God. That's where we are. And we have to, we have to say, you know. And the thing is, that's what we did last. We studied Second Peter, and Peter said, people will scoff when you tell them the Lord's coming back. When you tell him that it's not the amillennial reign now, when you tell them he's coming back on a certain day in a certain time, and actually his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, and that will actually happen, and he will rule and reign from Jerusalem, and they will laugh at you. Because they'll say, don't, you don't believe all that old tosh, do you? Yeah. And you'll say, yes, I do. Because somewhere down the line, they will be faced with their own mortality. And they will remember the words you spoke. And those words will give them the opportunity to come into the life, the eternal life of Christ. That's the thing. You know... And that only comes from your passion to love God and to serve him and to make him known and to honor him. You won't do that if you don't have that love for God and that passion. You won't because it will be so much easier just to keep quiet. Oh, yeah. Jürgen Klopp, you all know I love football, right? I love football. And this year... This year, I'm not so keen on Man City, I have to say, but although I like their manager, but this year, Jurgen Klopp has uh, managed Liverpool, and I love the way they've played football this year. They're my, usually my second team, but they might be my first team now. But anyway, I love the way he's got them to play football. It's been exciting. It's been really wonderful to watch. And it's, they've, they played Barcelona and lost 3-0 in Barcelona, supposedly the best team in the world, and then they won 4 they got four goals back in Liverpool. It's just been so exciting. That man is a Christian. Every time he's interviewed, if he can, he says, I thank God. And I've just watched a YouTube cube. I, I showed it to Rosie of him being interviewed by a German uh, a few years ago. Who is the most important person that has ever lived? Who is your like um, mentor or whatever? Well, without question, Jesus Christ. And he goes, yes, and he goes on to talk about Jesus coming, God coming to earth and taking on our sins and making the way for us to get to God. And we could never do it otherwise. And this is Jurgen Klopp, just maybe a few years ago, making his faith evident. How difficult for him in the world of soccer, the multi-million dollar, billion dollar world of soccer. How difficult for him. Yeah. Yes, he has, but he's been, he's been, you know. So I just think to myself, 
in every walk of life, in every type of profession, we can speak the truth. We can. You know, how you'll do it, I don't know, Simon. I'm glad it's not me. <laughs> but... Exactly, definitely. That's what I would say, definitely. And definitely this, un, you know, this kind of understanding, you know, yeah, I mean, obviously we want to help everybody and love everybody and, and really we want to do that, make their lives better. But the problem is that God says there's only one way to him. You know, that's the thing. I don't know, Simon, but you'll find the way and God will give you the words. Um, okay, so... Um, in the world that we live in, there's so much chaos and confusion, this demonic activity by Satan. It's more and more important that we are clear about what we believe and about how God wants us to live. We have to be totally clear. And then we have to make our choice. Will I live that way? Will I live that way? You know, and to be honest, you might make your choice today and then tomorrow you'll fall over. You will. Because that's just the way it is. But the whole point of making a choice, I want to live for you, is that when you fall over, you will say, Lord God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. Help me to be better next time. Help me to have the right answer, to, to live the right way, to say the right word. You know, just enable me, help me to do those things. And his answer will always be yes. He's going to go on, we'll just finish... Um, yeah, we'll just finish here with the, um, he talks about, uh, for among them, the, avoid such people as these, for among them are those who enter into households, captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now he's writing to Timothy in Ephesus and uh, he's talking about weak women. The word weak means foolish or silly or idle. And uh, they're, never, they're weighed down by sins, led on by various impulses. That's what it means. And they can never come to the knowledge of the truth. That, that, that phrase, knowledge of the truth, means intelligent comprehension. They can never come to intelligent comprehension. Now, do you think Paul meant that for all women across all time? What, weak women? Silly, foolish? No, but do you think he meant that, that all the women were like this, all across all time? So why would he be writing this into this situation in Ephesus? Because of the situation in Ephesus itself, and also because largely in that day, women were not educated. They were not. So they were at the mercy of people who could come with false doctrine because they didn't understand the true doctrine because no one told them. Also, they're in Ephesus where the Temple of Diana is, where there's all this false pagan religion. And so there's this confusion. So Paul is not suggesting that every woman is like this. Thankfully, we live in a time where we have been educated and we can read our own Bible and know our own truth. And that's just such a blessing. Aren't you glad you live now and not 200 years ago? I mean, just amazing that we're born into this time for such a time as this. Yes, exactly. Um, so false teachers take advantage of people who don't know the truth. Let's just put it that way. This, in this case in Ephesus, it was weak women, um, silly, foolish, idle women, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what you find about people who fall to false doctrine, who believe false doctrine. They're always looking, 
always searching, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth because they're looking in all the wrong places. All the wrong places. Um, he's going to talk about Janus and Jambra. Um, you won't find them in the Bible. If you looked them up, you can't find them. In Jewish tradition, they were the magicians in Pharaoh's court when Moses and Aaron were doing their miracles. These magicians were copying those miracles. And so what Paul's saying is they will, these false teachers will eventually come to judgment just as they did. When God judges, they will come into the judgment that they deserve. Um, um, so what he says, but they will not make further progress for their folly will be obvious to all just as Jana's and Jambra's folly was also. Um, these men are, oppose the truth. So these are people who deliberately take, you know, oppose it. Um, so uh, why does, Satan, why does um, Paul mention them here? Why does he talk about them? Yes, definitely, definitely. There are miracles that are things that we call wonders and signs that are not of God. So even more important that we know the word of God and we know who God is and how he operates, how he works, what he wants. Satan is an imitator and a counterfeiter. Yeah. So uh, these false teachers deny the authority of the Bible constantly. You cannot hold to amillennialism and then and also hold to the authority of the Bible. It just does not fit. You cannot believe replacement theology and hold to the truth of the Bible. It doesn't fit. You cannot do it. You have to be believing a lie and denigrating the Bible. Um, and so Paul will finish here with just these two... Uh, no, we will, we'll finish actually. No, we won't. We'll go on. Now, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and suffering, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Um, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yeah. So he's told Timothy, avoid these men, separate from what is false. And follow what is true. You followed my teaching, he says, my conduct. So what are the people like then that we are to follow? What are their characteristics? Just very briefly from these verses. What would their life be like if we are to follow them? Yeah, so ad adhering to true doctrine. So they would be teaching true doctrine. The people we are going to follow would teach true doctrine. It would have a sound to it of truth, and we would know that truth. And we could verify it from other places in Scripture. They're the people we are to follow, people who teach the truth, who speak the truth. Yes. People whose lives are open for everyone to see. People who are not one thing in front of you and then something else when they're in their own home. People who, who you know, this is the real person I'm talking to because I see them warts and all. People who practice what they preach. You know, he says, you followed my conduct. I practice what I preach. You saw me. You lived with me. You know how I live and what I do and whose purpose is to glorify God, verse 10. Um, yeah, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, 
his purpose, faith, patience, love and perseverance. What's the purpose of Paul? Is to glorify God. Paul's purpose was not to fulfill the Great Commission. His purpose was to glorify God because he knew in doing that he would fulfill the Great Commission. That's the whole thing. If our focus is on bringing people into the kingdom, we will do anything and everything to make them come in. But if our purpose is to glorify God, then we are going to hold him up first and present him as the majestic God that he is and people will come into the kingdom. Um, so I'm just, just finally, you know, he says you've got to be willing to suffer. He says endurance and the ability to stick with things when the going gets tough. We know that already. We've talked about that. Paul didn't ask others to suffer for him. He suffered for them. You know, if you want to look at someone to follow in your Christian life outside of Jesus, you, you cannot be better than Paul. He's the best. But think about it. This is where we finish this morning, where we'll finish here. How do you think Paul would match up? with today's Christian leaders. Think about Paul. He had a prison record. He had a physical affliction, whatever that was. He stirred up problems in just about every place he went because he would not tolerate anything other than the truth. And he was poor. And he didn't cater for the rich. (laughs) He wouldn't leave the back room. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely. But I was thinking about the leaders we have today. They don't present like Paul presents. They're not vulnerable and open. Three times I asked the Lord to take this from me. But nevertheless, you know, he says, no, I'm quoting Jesus, but he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for, for power is perfected in weakness. He wasn't bothered about going to prison for his faith. He wasn't bothered about those things because as far as Paul was concerned, Christ was all. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Even though they were. And the. I think the thing is, yeah, we live in a t- no. Don't be sorry, because carry on. But I, well, I'm, you know, we live in a time where everybody's got to be someone. You know, you've got to be someone. And now I'm talking about Christian circles. We've all got to be someone. We've got to have a ministry with a name and and people that what we do. We've got to have a job that we do that is respect. You know, people will recognise. And and when we introduce ourselves, we have to tell it tell other people what we do for the Lord. You know, yeah, I'm Anne Absalom, and I have a ministry called Desiring Truth. You know, you've just met me, and I've got to spill out all this stuff to you because I've got to be somebody that's somebody. Exactly. And that's not what Paul ever did. Paul was the other way. And because he was faithful and because he was who he was, we came to faith. We heard the gospel. 
because of who he was. Because God does not use people like, um, yeah, puffed up people. He uses people like Paul. Thank God that he does. Yeah. No. Well, welcome to the women's club. I have to say, John, because from about 45 or 50 onwards, women become invisible in the world. I'm talking about not Christianity, but in the world. And so you have, we've had to deal with that for much longer than you. So now you're suddenly facing. It is hard. No, it shouldn't be. Who said that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's pray. Let's pray. Mm. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So let's pray. Father, thank you that um, we can learn so much from these letters that you wrote through Paul. Thank you so much that you wrote them. Thank you that we can understand them. Thank you that your spirit gives us understand, understanding. And we want to pray for Simon as he comes into this meeting, Lord, and that you would give him this um, spirit of power, Lord, that he would understand that the spirit of power that he has. And, and, and Lord, that you would take any fear away, any anxiety, any... Um, disquiet in him about how he says it but that you would just give him the words at the right time and that they would be gentle lord gentle and that um and that uh, his prince charles will not feel attacked but he will feel just that he's been in the presence of a friend and lord we just pray for that we pray for you to go before him and to give him favor and Lord, just for all of us, as we come into this deeper understanding of who you are and who we are in you, we pray, Lord God, that you would um, just help us to really put this into practice in our daily lives, that we might be like Timothy, learning from Paul how to live and how to minister. And we want to do it all, Lord, for your glory. And we praise you that we can, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.